Could we turn, please, for our meditation tonight to the passage we were looking at this morning in um, Colossians chapter 1? And uh, that couldn't have been a more appropriate hymn, I don't think, for us to um, finish our singing on about the preciousness of Christ. You might recall that this morning we were thinking in terms of that verse that says that in all things he might have the preeminence. It's been exercising my heart over the last few days so many other things that start to become eminent in our lives. They seem to, things can crowd in and take a place of prominence that they ought not to have. And the scriptures warn us, um, John warns us about the possibility of um, people people becoming, trying to have the preeminence. Well, it's God's purpose that his beloved son should have that place. And could we just read through um, much of chapter 1 of Colossians before we just try and think analytically, uh, if we could, about that matter of God's estimate and God's attitude towards his beloved son. Just reading, please, from verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. This is the dear apostle himself under the circumstances of great testing that he was going through, and he is praying for the believers there at Colossae praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray. He's saying it again. Verse 3, praying always. Here, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, please follow the reasoning here. This is a continuity of thought that the apostle is developing here. He's praying things for them, and he's leading up to that great statement about Christ having the preeminence. Um, do not cease to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's, can you see the progress that he's asking for? an understanding of things spiritual, a life that's con that is consistent with their faith, and being strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, we need those 
those graces of patience and long-suffering, they are actually amongst the, the, the fruit that our Lord the Holy Spirit brings into our lives progressively in our Christian walk. Giving thanks, to, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now we, we could stop and give good consideration to all of these things that he's been praying for them. The inheritance for us, born in sin, shapen in iniquity, now an inheritance as heirs of God and joint heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the wonders of it all um, lie behind, of our salvation, lie behind what the apostle is praying for them. And then he gives this statement, verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood. We, these were the things we were rejoicing in this morning in moving into our worship time. Now, here he is about the p focusing now on the person, not just the work. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Now, every phrase of this is packed with meaning for us, that all is created not only by him, through him, but for him, the reason we are here the reason this planet exists, the reason this universe exists is for him. God the Father has made it clear through the work of the Holy Spirit and he is before all things and in him all things consist. The wonder of the person of our Lord and Saviour. Now, as far as we are concerned as believers, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head, the one that controls, that orders, that um, instructs, that um, brings about the activities of his church. He is the head of the body, of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then that wonderful phrase, that in all things, all these that he's covered, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's the purpose of God. And it, make, it would make a good motto for, for an individual life or for um, a year's motto for a church that in all things he might have the preeminence. No one else, no thing else, no program else, but in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, we've touched on the efficacy of the blood tonight also, but I would like us to just think briefly about this matter, and I was tempted to just take a list of 
of scripture references, and there's plenty of them. I, I had a look in my um, um, Thompson Chain Reference Bible, um, references to the preeminence of Christ, and there's there's um, dozens of them. Verses like um, Song Song of Solomon five verse ten: "My beloved is mine is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand." Uh, Isaiah fifty two thirteen: "Behold my servant, who shall deep, deal prudently; he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high." And so, the, I was tempted to look at a, a number of these, but I thought, well, look, we, we, there's just so many of them. We would need to try and think a little bit analytically about this wonderful fact that God has ordained that in all things His Son should have the preeminence. And I just want to use a few headings that might help you and might help me um, to uh, put our thoughts together in an orderly way. Firstly, the biblical preeminence of Christ. If we go through our Bibles, the person who is in focus from Genesis to Revelation is our Lord Jesus Christ with the great revelation itself being the revealing, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The biblical preeminence, and we'll look at that under a few headings, and the spiritual preeminence of Christ and the personal, that is, personal preeminence in an individual Christian's life. That church at Colossae was under threat from false teachers and um, I was reading a paragraph or two about it only this afternoon and this writer said the uh, Judaic element there insisted on legalistic and ritualistic observances as the foundation of religious life while the Gnostic element, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, rationalised the Christian concept of worship and substituted inferior and created beings for the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, Today we would describe these doctrines as legalism and ritualism on the one hand and intellectualism and spiritualism on the other. And he goes on and points out um, that faced with these things, the apostle and knowing about these things that were threatening the church at Colossae, the apostle is praying earnestly for them and pointing to the, pers- the centrality and the primacy of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical preeminence, that in all things he might have the preeminence. <clears throat> we see Christ as the centre of creation in this passage. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created and, by, and in him all things consist. That's verses 15 and 17. So at the, at the very um, centre of, of our Bible message is the message of creation with our Lord Jesus Christ central to that. As John points out to us in, uh, in John chapter 1, he's the creator of uh, heaven and earth and without him there's nothing being made that was made. Um, in the book of Hebrews, those first few verses in, in Hebrews chapter 1 tell us that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed all, uh, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We've got scripture after scripture that points to Christ at the very centre as well as being the one who is responsible for our creation. We see Christ portrayed to us in this passage as the head of the church um, in verse 18 and he is the head of the body, the church. Um, And we have this underlined to us in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 9 to 11 where the apostles writing to make all men to see what is the fellowship of the mystery which was from the beginning of the world had been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's going to manifest by the church his eternal purposes and the head of that church is our Lord Jesus Christ. His preeminence in creation, his preeminence in the church and his fullness of the Godhead. In verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Later in the, in the, um, in the same um, book, all fullness, that word all fullness is amplified as all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Lord Jesus, this blessed one, fully portrays to us the person of the unseen God, the eternal God, the one who Moses longed to be able to um, see and understand more fully. And our Lord Jesus is fully possessed of deity. He is God the Son. And uh, his fullness is in the, is the fullness of the Godhead in his expression of God the Father to us all in the realm of divine revelation, as we have it there early in the uh, book of Hebrews, God has spoken by his Son. So, so also we could look briefly at the spiritual preeminence of Christ, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The spiritual pre- preeminence of his life if we look at that at his own life here below we see first of all his walk his way of life our saviour's manner of living was honouring and glorifying to God in every respect it was preeminent we could you could never if you surveyed History. There's nobody comes within a bull's roar of the, the life of our Lord and Saviour. He was one who was holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. Nobody could um, find anything 
wrong with him. In fact, he gave the challenge, didn't he? Which of you convinces me of sin? Who of, it could, who of them could? Not a man, woman or child on the face of the earth could, could make a rightful accusation against our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the big accusation at the end was that he said he was the son of God, which of course was the absolute truth of the matter. There was nothing about our Saviour's lifestyle or walk that was reprehensible in any way. His preeminence in his way of living. His words were spiritual excellence. People exclaim, no man ever spoke like this man. And they marvelled at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. We have at Luke 4.22. His words, John tells us in John 6, verse 63, his words were spirit and life. His walk was perfection. His words were perfection. And his works were spiritual works. Those who witnessed his miracles and deeds of kindness concluded, as Mark has it in Mark 7.37, he has done all things well. His walk and way of life, his words, everything that came from his lips, and his works, the deeds of kindness that he did, they were all in excellent way um, showing forth the very life of God. They were spiritual excellence. And there was the spiritual preeminence of his death. Preeminence in his life, but preeminence also in his death. His death on the cross. Just think for a moment about the benefits of what he accomplished there. We've got some of them listed for us here as Paul um, is praying for the Colossians. We have redemption. We've been redeemed in the sight of God, not with corruptible things as silver and gold. We know well enough that those sort of things just would not um, in any way, shape or form make atonement for the sin of a man on this world. But we have redemption through his blood. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out for us, spiritual preeminence, giving us redemption. We've got reconciliation. So not only have our have we been bought back by the blood of Christ, but we've been reconciled with a holy God. We are now able, and we do, don't we? So regularly, our Father who art in heaven, we can come to our Father, not as a distant deity, not as a terrifying deity who's ready to strike us down as the gods of the heathen are are thought to be. This is the one to whom we can come because we've been reconciled by the work of Christ and there is now no condemnation. There is now nothing between but we have been united blessedly with the Saviour whose we are and whom we serve. Um, On that very point, 
Stephen Alford um, has a little observation. He says, To believe in the spiritual preeminence of Christ is to be redemptively related to God. We're brought into the father-child relationship, the son and heir of God relationship. So, yes, we've got biblical preeminence of our Lord Jesus, spiritual preeminence of our Lord Jesus, and personal preeminence is what he's looking for in our lives. That in all things, touching the life of the church in Colossae, touching the individual lives of the Christians in Colossae, and touching us here in Thornlands now, that in all aspects of life he might have the preeminence. If we look at the... um, we can see the acceptance of Christ by coming into our lives. Um, The scripture speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are those who by a miracle of God's grace are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Those who having been born again of his Spirit actually have him resident within. The glory of the Gospel is that Christ, the centre of creation, the head of the church, the fullness of the Godhead, deigns to enter into us and to share his life with unworthy but willing and repentant sinners. We can know his indwelling, as Paul puts it, um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Ephesians 3, verse 17. His presence, or what Paul calls in this chapter, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a wonder. One writer has put this concerning this matter. Having discovered the secret of the glory of the riches of Christ's indwelling, are you free from the concern and burden of living because he lives his life in you? Can you say with the hymnist, My Saviour, thou hast offered rest. I'll give it then to me. The rest of ceasing from myself to find my all in thee. Words of E.H. That's a big challenge. Um, As I was reading that through, um, thinking, well, that is a question that we need to be putting to ourselves seriously and honestly. And having then to look at the appreciation of the possibility, and this is what Paul was praying for them, the, uh, the infilling of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's purpose in salvation is that our Lord Jesus should not only touch our lives but invade and conquer our lives by faith. Um, He comes to us by faith. By grace are you saved through faith and we need to trust him. But in doing so, he imparts his love to us and imparts the hope of eternal glory to even the likes of us. Paul writes in Romans 15:13, "Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, 
that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I read that again, brothers and sisters? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the one who indwells us, that we might abound in these glorious things. In Hebrews 6.19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. This blessed Saviour of whom we're speaking, the one who God has purposed to be the person with, in, with the preeminence. Um, he is the one who can fill our lives with a new radiancy that is not my personality or your personality, but is the very life of Christ being lived out through us by the Holy Spirit. I've got a quote here from A.W. Tozer. Uh, he once said, When the Spirit presents Christ to our inner vision... It has an exhilarating effect on the soul, much as wine has to the body. The spirit-filled person may literally dwell in a state of fervent anointing um, and so on. He's saying that this is a reality that touches and renews and rejoices our hearts with a holy zeal for Christ. Christ is our hope of glory and that needs to fill our hearts with a new purity and because the scripture tells us that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3 verse, 6, verse 3. That's a secret for us, brothers and sisters, looking unto this one, giving to him the preeminence in our lives and knowing what it is to be for our, the conduct of our lives to then be well-pleasing to him. I've got a paragraph from... Um, who is it from? Anyway, I'll read it to you. I thought it was a lovely closing thought. How would we respond to the preeminence of Christ? To put him first biblically spiritually, personally. Our prayer ought to be along the lines, Lord, we open our, the doors of our minds, our hearts and our wills to you, coming in, indwelling and infilling. Come in and exercise the preeminence in all of our lives. Well, I think that sums up beautifully what our response might be to these thoughts about our Lord Jesus. Certainly, he is the one who is preeminent throughout our Bibles. If we're reading our Bibles without seeing him, as some have said on every page, well, if we're not seeing him as the very subject and purpose of the scriptures, we're missing the point. He is preeminent throughout the scriptures. His spiritual preeminence in life and in death and his personal preeminence that he seeks to exercise in our lives, your life, my life, by coming in, by indwelling 
and by infilling each of our lives. May it be so. Our Father, we present ourselves before you tonight as those who marvel at the fullness that is your purpose for us as believers. As we read through those early verses and the prayer of your dear servant for the Colossian Christians, we are mindful of how we need to be looking unto him whom you have highly exalted. And we come before you, Lord, with the prayer tonight that we might be given grace, each of us in this room this evening might be given grace from above to place Christ our Saviour in the place of actual preeminence in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our aspirations, in our personal and family life and in the life of our local church. So we wait upon you, thanking you for the challenge that that expression is, thanking you that you have revealed to us the desire of your heart that in all things your beloved Son should have the preeminence. So, Lord, in all our frailty, in all our weakness, in all our failures, we come to you and pray that it may be so, that the Spirit of God will come in in his fullness and take of us and fill us and use us to the glory of this one whom you have highly exalted, even our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his peerless name. Amen.